Thanks for joining us and supporting Vikido Fitness. We ask for your continued support by becoming an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. Go to www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join. Again, that's www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join and register for a $6 monthly subscription. And remember, keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about mindfulness and parenting. How can we communicate more effectively in our parenting interactions with our children? Joining us today is Hunter Clark Fields, a mindfulness mentor who has over 20 years of experience in meditation and yoga practices. She would talk about her new book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Hunter will give us strategies on how we can practice mindful parenting and become better parents and raise kind and confident kids. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks Bright. How are you today? Hi, Vicki. How are you doing? I'm good. We haven't been together for a minute, but yeah. It is our official first show for the new year, so we're doing pretty good, right, Dee? Oh, I know. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Today, we're going to talk about mindful communication and your reactions with your children. In other words, mindfulness and parenting. And parenting can be challenging, and let's be honest, it can be stressful. And not only as parents do we have to take care of our children, but whether we like it or not, we have to be their teachers, their mentors, and sometimes the peacemaker to help handle conflicts that may arise. All of these ways of handling circumstances take skill, and that's it. Parenting is a skill set. However, we are not perfect. We certainly will not know what to do all the time. And so the question is asked, what is mindful parenting? Well, clinical psychologists have defined mindful parenting as bringing your conscious attention to what's happening instead of getting hijacked by your emotions or just reacting. Mindfulness is about letting go of guilt and shame about the past and focusing on right now. It's about accepting whatever is going on, whether than trying to change it or ignore it. You're responding and acting in the present. Now, Dr. Dan Siegel, a clinical psychologist who studies the brain, stated that during stressful parenting moments, we may lose control. 
and let our emotions control our reactions. He also says that when we fly off the handle, it happens so quickly that we aren't thinking about how our children are perceiving us. Our reactions can be very traumatizing to our kids. Also, we have to remember we are modeling that what we are doing, that is how grown-ups react to stress. And so if we choose to be more mindful by pausing before responding, we can teach kids that they too can pause and choose to respond instead of reacting. Now, some of the benefits of mindful parenting are you are more aware of your feelings and thoughts. You are more aware and responsive of your child's needs, thoughts, and feelings. You are better at standing back from situations and and avoiding impulsive reactions. Your relationship, most of all, your relationship with your child improves. And so joining us today is Hunter Clark Fields, a mindfulness mentor who has over 20 years of experience in meditation and yoga practices and is the author of her new book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. She would talk about the strategies to breaking free of being a reactive parent, and she would share with us ways that we can practice mindful parenting, which will help us to become better parents, but will improve our relationship with our children as well. And so we can't wait to talk with her later in the show. And so what do you say, Dee? I'm looking forward to it. Where was she when I was raising my kids? I can't wait to hear what she has to say. And so, folks, make sure... Make sure you go and check out our Vicky Doe Fitness Health and Wellness website, VickyDoeFitness.com. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our newsletter, our email list to receive the updates about our new health and wellness webinar trainings and online programs and just keeping up with what we're doing. Now, right now we are showcasing our step-by-step weight loss bootcamp masterclass. It's an online health and wellness program, a 12-week comprehensive weight loss program. And this is our signature program for you to participate in and to get that healthy transformation that you've always wanted. And so this is a new year. I want to encourage all of you to start today. It's never too late. We are here to help you. We are fitness, health fitness experts and all of that. And we are here to help you achieve your healthy living goals. And so I encourage you to take that step. Go directly to vickidofitness.com forward slash training. And that's when you will learn more about our Vicky Doe Fitness online health wellness training programs. Go ahead and do that, folks. And I can't wait to see you on the inside. And as always, what do we say, D? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Well, D, yeah, school starts back. A lot of folks are in school already. The little ones, they're back in school already. And so the universities can't start. Can't start next week on the 19th. Are you teaching this semester? Big time, even more stuff. So are you doing hybrid? Are you doing? Well, see, it's tricky. So they have us coming in what is tier one, tier two. So what does that mean? Instead of having all of us come at one time, some of us will start out remotely 
And then after two weeks or so, we can come back face to face. And then others will start face to face, you know, but all of us after the spring break, all of us will be back like we did before where everybody is remote. And so since I'm doing different classes, it's a trip because I'm like, okay, one of them, I'm going to just make totally remote because I can do that so that people won't get confused because the students will get confused, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, definitely. So I'm I'm just doing it that way and we shall see. You know, hopefully the vaccine, you know, they have more testing on campus. You know, we still. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We still have our mask and all that, whether we're dancing yeah, or yeah. whatever we're doing. So we shall see. Yeah. I'm just trying to be focused because, you know, even though it's 2021, we still have some of the same old stuff from 2020 that we want to leave behind. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so I'm trying to I'm yeah. trying to I'm trying to stay focused. So that's why I said, well, it's great that I have a business and I got um, to teach and stuff because that'll keep me in a, uh, a routine because obviously some people just yeah. bored. Some people are bored, don't you think? Because they, they doing a lot of stuff. Completely bored. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine. Mm. And I know you busy, so. Oh, my God, yeah. So you got plenty yeah. of stuff. You got plenty of stuff to think about. So, yeah, I'm keeping busy, and I'm trying to keep focus on my health and wellness for myself, too. You know, making sure I take care yeah. of myself okay. as well. Yeah, definitely. And so how was your week, D? then? How was yours? Well, it was good. You know, I, um, you know, still working hard as we were just talking. It doesn't really seem like there's an end in sight, although. Maybe a teeny bit number of deep, maybe a teeny bit decrease in the number of cases of COVID that are coming in the hospital. But one of the things that I have done for myself, you know, you talk about New Year's resolutions. I decided I am back in the gym and I am swimming. So I have been swimming every day for at least, let's say, five out of seven for the last three weeks. I had a little bit of trepidation, mm-hmm. and what gave me a little bit more emphasis was when I got vaccinated because okay. I said that. I was not going to go to any gym because gyms were always nasty before. Mm-hmm. But the way they have it set up now is that you make reservations for a lane, and I don't share with anybody. That's good. So I have a lane to swim for myself from anywhere from 50 minutes to an hour, and it's just really good. And talk about, you know, meditation and mindfulness. It's where I have been able to escape mm-hmm. all the stress that I'm under. It's been wonderful. I just, when I get in the pool, I just say, okay, let everything go for this hour and just let your mind go. Yeah. That's, so that's kind of what I've been doing. Oh yeah. yeah. That's great. And so, yeah, I, I feel it. Cause you know, I was like, okay, why am I back, you know, teaching and stuff with all the stuff I have to do. And then most especially, yeah, I'm teaching anatomy and phys for the dancers, you know, and that's, uh-huh. that's cool. But I'm also teaching dance, which I love, right? And so I say, you know what, uh-huh. I'm, I'm just uh-huh. going to use that as my de-stressor, you know, me to de-stress and have fun and teach. So that's how I'm looking at it, too. So yeah. So okay. you you swim. That's you. You always was swimming. That's why when you yeah. s- that's why yeah. when you said that yeah. you had stopped swimming, I was like, hmm. 
Yeah. So no, I'm I'm back. I'm back to my routine, you know, and it's just been good to to get your mind and it's kind of one of those things where I've decided I'm you know, so many times you can be deterred, you know, and I just said so e afternoon worked a little bit better for me than early morning because it's just too doggone cold out there now. I know, right. Um, <laughs> but I find in the afternoon it's a lot better. So yeah. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. So what is going on this week? Everything, Vicky. Everything. I loved it when you sent the Vogue cover because what was what was your first reaction yeah. when you saw that when you saw the old well, one? Well, you know, at first I didn't. You know what? I didn't see it first. It was chatter amongst my girlfriends, and I maybe had a little bit of different opinion before I read all the hoopla about it because what was being said amongst my friends was. You know, they downplayed her on the cover and this and that, this and that. And so my response to them was, only because I, I know her a little bit through my sister, uh -huh. um, Kamala has never come across, or, the, or Vice President Harris, not Kamala anymore, Vice President Harris, has never come across to me as, a, as I called her the glamour puss. You know, never mm -hmm. um, seen her in that kind of you know, she's been an attorney general, she's been this, that, and the other. My thought was, well, I thought that when they took the pictures, that she would have had creative, she and her crew, mm -hmm. knowing how she does have a strong crew, and I know that because my sister was did some fundraising and stuff for her, and they definitely micromanaged things that maybe they didn't they see this before it went out. And then my third comment was, well, I mean, would we have been upset because, She's trying to be as presidential as she can look and be because there's so many people that don't want a woman president. Right. And my thought was that if they had put her on the front cover looking like some Hollywood starlet, mm -hmm. it would have fed into everybody's stereotype of, well, see, she's a woman. And I just thought, well, maybe she's still trying to look as presidential. You know what I'm trying to say? Yes, yes. Well, that was just my thought until I started to read more of the commentary and what Anna Winford said, and this, that, and the other. So what was your stance? My, re my reaction wasn't even that. My reaction was, you know what? They don't have the colors right with the AKA stuff. Because the green, they had, oh, yeah. they had the, that's what messed right. it up. If, right. if they had that green more of a bright emerald green, it would have brought her out. They had right. this nasty, you right. remind me of some split pea soup with some ham on it. <laughs> <laughs> Right, exactly. But don't you right. think? I think right. if the coloring was a little bit better, you know, because they didn't they didn't really research. They just put some green and pink, but it's it's that vibrant green, and I think that would have been better. But I agree with what you said. I agree. I think she was just trying to a lot of times, and 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 you know what you say. That's the elephant in the room. A lot of times, you gotta water yourself down so you won't be scaring people. Yeah. You know what I mean? So she, I think she was just trying to be more casual and 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 likable and not not intimidate folks when they when they would see that. So exactly, I, I just thought that, and I'm looking at the the pink and green again. As you say, you're right. They didn't get that right. They didn't research it. It's not the Kelly green or the AKA colors. And like I said, a lot of people, mm -hmm. uh, no matter what your ethnicity is. 
uh, and maybe it's more of a gender thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're looking at President Biden being older mm-hmm. than the other and realizing that Kamala Harris may be the first female black president. Mm-hmm. And that scares a lot of people like they didn't want to vote for Hillary because they didn't want a female president. So I just thought she was just trying to tone it down a little bit. I thought so, too. But I don't mind. I saw the second cover and it's not bad. Did you see the second? No, one? right. Me, too. Yeah. I did. Right. I agree. I don't know. They were saying that she was that, that it was disrespectful. I, I don't think so at this time. I don't think that they were trying I, to be disrespectful. I, I I, right. I I didn't think that as well. I didn't I didn't take that tone with the cover at all. I did. Yeah, I didn't take that. I just my first response was, yeah, it looks yucky because they didn't get that green right. Right. It was mousy and, and bland and the color wasn't really right. They didn't research the AKA colors. <laughs> they sure didn't. And you would know you an AKA. Aren't you an AKA? Yeah, right. Yeah, I am, right. Yeah, come on. But I can see from yeah, other right. Yeah, I can see from other people's perspective that yeah, it did probably, you know, if they're looking at it from those lens, yeah, you know, maybe it, it mm-hmm. seemed like, you know, they were trying to water her down, but no, that I think the first cover was her personality. You know, that's how she's always yeah. walking around. They just messed up on right. the... that's all the way she's portrayed herself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. They just yeah. messed up on the coloring, and that's why it didn't seem appealing. I don't remember ever seeing, and I've seen some pictures of her when she was dating people and, you know, having a dress and looking a little, you know, glamorous. But, you know, I've only seen her in pantsuits. Pantsuits. It's time to say, not that there's anything wrong with it, but... I've seen her most in pantsuits, especially during the campaign when she was running for president and when she has been vice president. So I didn't, you know, the fact that she had a pantsuit on and she has made a big thing about those tennis shoes that she's been wearing. I think they probably caused the, those, what are they, Converse shoes uh-huh. um, thing to go up. But she wears those a lot, you know. Yeah, that's her, that's that's her, like her that's trademark. That's That was her brand. That's her that brand. Her brand on the cover, I thought. Yeah, that's her brand. You are right. That's her brand. That's her brand. Yeah. But they changed it, and it's, it looks it looks okay. It looks they okay. did. I agree. It's not bad. It's not, not bad. Well, you know, we try to always leave with some type of health tip. And so the health tip is, most especially since we need to be, it's the new year. We're trying to get in that mindset of mm-hmm. exercising mm-hmm. more. This health tip is creating a circuit training workout. And here's, you know, most people don't know what does circuit training mean? Well, circuit training is said to be better because you can burn calories and it's, it's very interesting. It's, it minimizes boredom for those people that, you know, don't want to just sit on the bike and do just a steady state type of exercise. And so circuit training mm-hmm. is a great way to exercise. And so this health tip is on Vicky Doe Fitness website and it was created by Health Day News. And it says circuit training workouts involve moving between a number of cardio and strengthening exercise areas without resting. Proponents say that these workouts burn calories quickly and help fight boredom. And so the American Council on Exercise offer these suggestions for creating a circuit training workout. Okay, number one, you can run up and down Mm -hmm. steps or the driveway, jump rope, then use your home exercise equipment, 
So you see that? That's a circuit. Run up and down mm-hmm. steps mm-hmm. a few times, a few minutes, or mm-hmm. g- run up and down the driveway, then stop that, do some jump roping, then stop that, and then go on your home exercise equipment or your bike. So you, 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 mm-hmm. you're creating a circuit that way. Another idea for strengthening, perform exercises such as push-ups, lunges, and planks. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows how to do planks now because mm-hmm. we've talked about that so much. And so that's the strengthening part. Okay. Now, right. s- suppose you can, you are, because not everybody is, they, they have the cold weather like we do at the park. You can alternate between running, walking, and biking, and then mix in some squats, some push-ups and dips using a, a tree. You can use a, 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 a boulder or a park bench. And so these are just some kind of creative ways that you can think about when you are creating a circuit training workout. And so that's our health tip for today. What is the latest, D? You you got some you got you in the New York Times, D. <laughs> Yeah, so this late, this reporter interviewed me about a month ago for, she was from the New York Times, and you know, you kind of think, she says, well, it's really up to my editors whether it gets into the Times or not, and I didn't think any more of it, because you know, as they say, stuff ends on the cutting room floor. Yes. And then on New Year's Eve, she texted me and said, here's the article, and it was in the New York Times mm-hmm. on December the 31st in an article entitled, In Minority Communities, Doctors Are Changing Minds About Vaccinations. And it just starts talking about this woman in Castleberry, Alabama, who didn't want to take the COVID-19 vaccine because she had heard about all the side effects. And this is part of the problem that we're having. She heard. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, of course, with all the mistrust that goes along with, you know, uh, health care in this country, not only the health care disparities, but, you know, remembering the Tuskegee, syphilis experiment and all of that. And then it goes on to say that she had a niece who was a physician mm-hmm. from Emory mm-hmm. who came home to Alabama to try to convince her friends and family about why they should take the COVID-19 vaccine. And it goes on to talk about other physicians who are from these areas who are coming back to their communities to talk about the facts and fallacies of why you should take the COVID-19. And so the interview that I did, the comment was Dr. Virginia Banks, an infectious disease specialist in Youngstown, Ohio, who is black, understands the community's long-held distrust in the medical establishment. But she has seen too many people, and not all of them old, suffer and die in the pandemic, she said. And Dr. Banks worries about her own risk while caring for patients. I feel like I'm playing Russian roulette. So she recites stories to those who are hesitant about being inoculated, like one patient who she recently treated gasping for breath, and he asked her, am I going to make it out of here alive? And she told him that she didn't know. So we have these stories to tell the black Americans, and it has come from someone who looks like them, said the reporter. My friends and family say, even if the risk is one in a million, I'm not taking it, she said. And then I said mm-hmm. in the article, I understand your mistrust, but this is beyond Tuskegee. This is beyond the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks. And if the, your audience doesn't know who Henrietta Lacks is, she's a woman from Hopkins. There's a book out called Immortal Life, Henrietta Lacks, where they use her cervical cells in developing, growing, in growing back, uh, bacteria, viruses, 
all that made billions of dollars. Honestly, made billions of dollars, and the family didn't get any money for it. Mm -hmm. So I just said, Dr. Banks stressed the ripple effects of individual decisions. If you don't take the vaccine and it is safe, we'll be wearing masks on time to come. So if you want your life back, you want normalcy back, you will have to rely on trusted messages like myself. And then the article goes on to, I turned them on to a friend of mine who said he absolutely was not going to take the vaccine until he heard me. And until I convinced him that this was a, a, a wise thing to do. So that was it. Yeah, that was my shining Andy Warhol moment. There it is. So <laughs> that was my that was my shining moment. And I see that you're going to be, I think you're going to be doing something tomorrow talking about vaccinations as well. Uh, some type of what? Webinar, Zoom for the, for the community? A uh, town hall. A town hall, yeah. Okay. Town hall here in uh, Youngstown, Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important because like Nate was saying, when he, he would ask around, people are saying, no, they're not taking the vaccines. And it's like, oh, my goodness, we got a problem, you know? It is. It is a problem, and in a lot of, I carry some of my colleagues in other places in the country, and just in healthcare workers, they're having in some places a 60% of people that are healthcare workers that don't want to take the vaccine. And those are people in the know. I mean, not necessarily the know, but I mean, these are healthcare workers that are involved and around COVID. So if they don't want to take it, you can imagine what is going on in the community. So... Yeah, we're trying to be trusted messengers out there in the community to get the word out. And I had a, I met last night um, on a Zoom with the coming upcoming Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, whom I really like. If you all remember, he was the Surgeon General yes. Obama appointed. Yeah, I remember him. And when Trump came in, he, he terminated him. But um, he's coming back, and he's just a great guy down to earth. And he met with a lot of the African-American leaders in the community, the Divine Nine presidents and Link president and Boule and all these other people, mm-hmm. so that we can go out to the community, to our constituents. And he answered a lot of questions. So that's what we're trying to do, because I don't want to be in this 2022. I know. I want to be able to travel and stuff. <laughs> right, exactly. Kudos to you. I'm so glad that you are out there, because, yeah, all of us, at first we, we said, huh, I ain't taking it. But then when we really learn more, when we learn more about it, then that's when we go, you know what? Right. We better take it. Knowledge is power. Right. And to realize that, yeah, understood. We understand all the mistrust, but it's a public health issue. It really is a public health concern. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dee. Thank you. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicky Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, 
and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our on-site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Well, today we talk about mindfulness and parenting. The question is asked, what is mindful parenting? Mindful parenting is bringing in your conscious attention to what is happening in the moment or being in the present when you deal with your kids and their daily lives. In other words, no more reactive parenting where our emotions can take control of the situation. Instead, being able to take a pause and stand back from the situation and then responding in a more positive manner. Both you and your kids will be more calmer and will have better productive and meaningful relationships. And so joining us is Hunter Clark Fields, a mindfulness mentor and author of her book, Raising Good Humans, A Mindful Guide to Breaking the Cycle of Reactive Parenting and Raising Kind, Confident Kids. She will share with us her story and give us powerful tips on how we can become more effective parents by practicing mindful parenting. Let's listen to our interview with Hunter Clark Fields. Where here with us today is Hunter Clark Fields, a mindfulness mentor who has over 20 years of experience in meditation and yoga practices and has taught mindfulness to thousands worldwide. Hunter is the host of the internationally acclaimed podcast, Mindful Mama, creator of the online course, Mindful Parenting, and author of her new book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. She is going to provide and share with us in the book, she provides powerful and practical strategies to break you free from reactive parenting. But today, when she talks with us, she's going to talk about her personal story and she is going to give us tips on what we can do so that we can free ourselves from being reactive, but also so that we can be motivated to do what we need to do to be great parents. And that is raising kind, confident kids. And so I can't wait. What about you, Dee? <laughs> I can't wait either. And so how are you today, Hunter? I am doing well. I'm, I'm happy to be here. It's a little cold, so I'm staying cozy as best I can. And where are you where calling, are you calling, calling us, from? us from? Yeah, where are you calling us from? I am in... Uh, Wilmington, Delaware, Northern Delaware. So that would be a little chilly. Yeah, a little more than us. Yes, you yes. Know, you know, Delaware is such a small state, you don't even think sadly about the kind of weather that you guys have. You tend to have more of the weather like New York. Yeah, generally. Um, oh, that's funny. I grew up in Rhode Island, and uh, and the difference is, like, it's much colder up there than it is down here. I ended up coming uh-huh. here for college because I it had snowed so much in my in Rhode Island, I was like, 
I want to go south. Oh, yeah. I want to go further south. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're glad that you're calling us today. So tell us your story and why you decided to focus on helping mothers to become better parents through mindfulness. It all came out because of my because of my own struggles and my own difficulties. I mean, I guess, you know, I was this person who was kind of good at being good at the things I tried. You know, I was able to like get the good grades in college and do the different things. And then I, you know, I kind of assumed like I had made a decision about how I want to parent and it would be this way. And then I was just failing at it as far as because it was so much harder than I thought it would be. When my when my first daughter was 18 months and two years old, like this temper came out of me, you know, it was just like, it, you know, and I could kind of see where it was from. It's like my father's temper is exactly exactly what I didn't want to do as a parent was to replicate my father's temper. But I could see that I was yelling and I scared my daughter, and it just I really left me like in a shame spiral, just feeling terrible about it. And I really felt like I was failing at the most important job of my life. So I, you know, after some time, you know, giving myself a pathetic cry, I was able to pick myself up and say, okay, you know, what do I need to do here? And, and so Raising Good Humans really puts together the things that are were most important that I, that I learned from this, you know, intensive period of, of learning and study. So you're saying that it is a guide, right? When people read your book, they're reading it as a guide to how that they can do better. Is that how you read the book? Absolutely. So at, at this time, I was I was listening to um, wonderful teachers talk about what are what are the best ways to parent, and then I would be incredibly frustrated because a lot of the advice would go like this: like it would be say, you know, just respond this way, just do this, just pause and do this. And I felt like that was so frustrating because when I was losing it, when I was having this stress response that I, you know, I later learned a lot more about the nervous system and the brain and really biology what's happening. But when I was losing it, I couldn't, couldn't remember any of those good things to say that I had learned. And it, it's really no wonder. It's really interesting, actually, to realize that the nervous system's stress response that res- like responding to your child as if your child is a threat, right? Yes. Making your, your heart be faster and, and all that stuff. It's actually, what's kind of really interesting is that it's actually making it so that you bypass the slower thinking parts of the brain, the prefrontal cortex right behind your forehead, where generally the, the sort of like problem solving, empathy, verbal ability, higher order thinking, all that good stuff that we need to parent well is there. And when you're stressed, your nervous system is literally bypassing that part of the brain. So Mm -hmm. I couldn't even access, like, the learning of, like, what is the best way to respond. So I I realized that all this good communication knowledge that I was learning was useless without the pieces from mindfulness, how to lower your reactivity, how to calm, you know, calm that stress response, you know, what are... The, the habits that can steady the heart and the mind and the nervous system. If we don't have those, if we can't lower our reactivity, then the rest of it is, is almost useless. I have a question. So you were talking about your dad's temper, and, you know, there's always a stereotypical household where the dad sometimes may have the, the you know, the temper that, that's the worst temper. But how was your mom? 
Oh, my mom had, I mean, my dad kind of, he, he took up the temper area pretty fully. My mom was fairly chill. She was a hospice nurse and she was a little bit more compassionate and chill, but I was a tough kid. Like I was a highly sensitive kid, really. I, I'm sure, you know, I pushed back and I was, I'm sure I was tough. I remember one time when I was, uh, I, I don't know, I guess I must have been like 12 or something. My mom took a wooden spoon and whacked me on the leg. And I took a wooden spoon and whacked her back, actually, that moment. Oh, and oh, and then no. she, never, she never whacked me with a wooden spoon again. But, yeah, so she had her, her moments of temper. Overall, she was a, a lot less. Dad was sort of, like, boring and, and scary. And, you know, I, I remember hiding behind the door, you know, when Dad was raging down the hall. Well, listen, first of all, I want to know, and, and then I'm going to put my two cents in later on because the reacting how you react to your kids depends on a lot of things it depends on the situation it also depends on the culture but we'll talk about that later but in the meantime let's define what it means to to be you know mindful we we see these words when I was reading I saw you know mindful parenting and and all of that, you know. So let's explain what what is um, mindful parenting. What does that mean? So mindfulness is just, we'll, we'll go back to that. You know, that is the intention, intentional, purposeful uh, practice of putting your attention in the present moment with an attitude of kindness and curiosity, right? So this is different from the way we normally are because normally we're kind of like, we're doing the next thing and the next thing and we're, we're, our brain is three steps ahead and we're, we're not really in our, our, our body is one place, but our mind is already cooking dinner, right? So right. Uh-huh. mindfulness is about creating a muscle of being able to put our attention in the present moment. And it has all these incredible benefits that's been really research proven which one of the biggest things I think in the, the, what I think of it is as parental superpower because it really helps us to, helps us with our impulse control, helps us to lower our reactivity. Um, it's pretty amazing, actually. There's like Johns Hopkins had 47 different studies that showed that mindfulness also like it, it, it lowers anxiety, it lowers depression, it helps us sleep better, um, it helps our medical outcomes. It's really this kind of like brain uh, hack, I kind of think of that. So when we apply that to parenting, it means that we're taking this attitude of kindness and curiosity into the present moment, and we're also practicing to not be so reactive. So the idea, like when we're reactive is kind of when we're at our worst at our parenting, right? When something happens and we just react is kind of like when we're, that's when we're losing it, we're, we're at our worst, we're not choosing our response. And so when we can, when we can experience like different behaviors and all kinds of different things and we can experience what's happening in our body as far as like maybe raised heart rate and all the different things we can experience and not instantaneously react unskillfully to that, but in that ability to remain non-reactive is what gives us the ability to choose, consciously choose a response rather than just react. So it actually gives us this ability 
to respond rather than react. It, 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 it makes us response-able, which I think is interesting, like responsible, right? It, uh -huh. makes, it, it gives us that ability to choose. And that way we can kind of, we can be more thoughtful and um, compassionate and rational about our responses and, and how to teach our kids best in that moment rather than the kind of old habits that might, you know, where we might scare them and that makes it so they're not able to learn anyway either. So does that answer your question? Does I yes. sum it up for you? Yes, because I feel that, you know, being mindful and practicing mindfulness as a parent, you need to know exactly what mindfulness means and how it relates to parenting. So yeah, that is great um, definition and it makes sense. So I'm going to break it down in layman's term. When your kid turns around and either does something that you don't want them to do instead of yelling at them and say, what the on is your problem? We can't do that, right? <laughs> we have to take, we have to step back take a pause and respond instead of reacting instantly or impulsively. Is that, is that how you do it? Yeah, I would say you explain that really well. I mean, it, mindful, you know, it's not like, uh, yeah, we can choose kind of a, a better response rather than the, that habitual thing, which is generally like what our parents said to us and often is not like the most skillful way to respond. I, I have a question. I'm not sure. I saw the picture of you and your girls. How, how old are they now? Mm -hmm. My oldest is about to turn 14, uh, and uh -huh. my youngest is 10. So in terms of this mindful parenting, mm -hmm. does it go through, does your reaction pattern, you know, as they go through the different eras, like it's maybe easier to be a little bit more mindful or do more mindful parenting when they're younger as opposed to when they get up into that adolescent period and you're trying to do more parenting because of the outside influences that also creep into your space and their space. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. And actually the tools that I teach like in mindful parenting mm -hmm. are actually like kind of the, the funny secret is that they're actually, it doesn't matter what age they are. In fact, the communication skills and the habits to call, steady the heart and the mind and the nervous system, they apply no matter what age of relationship huh. you are in mm -hmm. with somebody. You, in fact, a lot of the members, often they're in relationships with their spouses and partners improve huh. because what happens is we're, we're pairing together this work to, to steady our heart, mm -hmm. to understand what are our own triggers, to practice self-compassion, right? Well, all of these things may mm -hmm. be brand new to somebody. And we're pairing that with then how, what do I say? Mm -hmm. What is a, a mm -hmm. skillful way to respond to the situation? How can I create cooperation without creating so much resistance? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I teach in there is about how some of the ways that we do habitually respond to kids are actually kind of counterproductive and we don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. Like, so if we are like, if we're barking orders at our kids mm -hmm. or we're, you know, using, using threats, which are like some of the ways that I use, what things I use very habitually, it actually like, it doesn't matter how old you are. Nobody likes to have orders barked at them. If you're two, you don't like it. If you're 62, you don't like yeah. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes it. You know, it's just this is the habitual way we happen to have talked to kids. And it, what happens is sometimes it, kind of, you know, like kind of works in the short term, quote unquote. But mm -hmm. in the long term, it's actually making your kids 
more resistant to what you say and resent you, right? Because they're resenting Mm -hmm. having orders being barked at them. And so then when you have a teenager, what happens with mindful parenting is as you start to use more skillful language so that your kids don't just like resent, you know, being pushed around and having orders barked at them, when you get to have a teenager, you have more influence on them then Mm -hmm. because you haven't like eroded that influence with all the resentment and just unskillful means. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. But where were you when I was raising my kids? (laughs) (laughs) This is great. I know. With my experience, I have two. I have two girls and you know how girls are, but I love them. They're awesome. But what I what I did with my two, I did all the the correcting and the discipline when they were little. You know, I, I feel that a lot of the parents have their kids and think they're so cute. Maybe they get away with a lot of stuff when they're little because they're so cute. Instead of, you know, that's when you you talk to them, you you let them know what's what's right or, you know, what I'm saying when they're younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that by the time they get older, when my kids were older and we talked to whatever, I could just go over there and, and look at them all funny and they'll know mm, I probably better not do that. You know, what I mean, I never had yeah. to yeah. to do all the, you know, the spanking and all that kind of stuff. Now, I do. I Hey, now I will yell at you a little bit to get you in order. But <laughs> at the same time, a lot of love, you know, I have two girls. So I used to tell them and I still do how beautiful they are, how smart they are. You just be surprised that that reinforcement of telling your kids how how you value them, how they're just awesome. The last point is that I think worked for me also was to include the kids into what I was doing, meaning I would take, now some parents can't do that. I would take my girls to my classes at Kent State, or if I'm teaching a lot of folks in the community, they know the girls. How how the girls? Because the girls were always with me when I would go and teach health and wellness or whatever I was doing. And Dee can talk about that, right, Dee? It was like a village yeah. mm-hmm, for the kids, yeah. right? True. And I think that's important yeah. as well. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, no, I think that's wonderful. And I think you're right, you know, about teaching our kids when they're, when they're young. You know, I think sometimes we forget, you know, what the word discipline means. Mm-hmm. You know, discipline has the same root as the word disciple, and it means to follow and to lead. And so for us to, to, to teach, mm-hmm. so for us to discipline our kids is to, it, it's unfortunately, it's got, you know, it's, it's, it's a different, got a different meaning now, but it should mean to really teach them. And that's really what we want to do when, when they're doing, you know, when, when we can understand that whatever behavior they're doing, they're, they're just trying to meet some needs of theirs. So if we can bring this, this mindfulness, right, this a kind and curious attention to what's happening, and we can then say, okay, I wonder what needs my child was trying to meet with this. And then if we can then, you know, say, okay, say you have a two-year-old, right, that's like, you know, batting their brother over the head. And we can say, what needs are they trying to meet? No, they're frustrated. And they want to be able to, they want to be able to play with this toy too. Okay. And we can, then we can start to say, rather than punish them or make them feel badly for what's going on, what, what do they need to learn in this moment? What do they need to learn in this moment? So what, 
you know, then we can say, going back to the root of that word discipline, to teach, we can say, okay, well, I need to teach my child how to express what they're needing right this moment. Or maybe I need to teach my child to come to me when they're so frustrated or I need to, you know, acknowledge what's going on for them. But, uh, you know, the use of, like, shaming and blaming language or, you know, just timeouts, it, it actually it isn't that effective because it just makes your child resent you mm-hmm. rather than learn mm-hmm. what they need to learn in that moment. Hunter, I, I have a question. I, I don't want I want to make sure that I don't forget this. When I was listening to one of your interviews that you were doing on YouTube, and it was also promoting your book, Raising Good Humans, mm-hmm. what, what spurned my interest as a physician, you, and you just maybe mentioned this briefly, I mean, you actually talked about with this mindfulness that if you practice this for like 12 weeks or something, it change the amygdala or you could see amygdala changes or frontal lobe. Can you comment on that? Did I, did I hear that? Oh, yes, yes. It's fascinating what happens with the mindfulness practice. You know, we kind of think of it as like some kind of woo-woo thing, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's like, there's so much research on it and they've done, you know, MRI studies of the brain. Mm -hmm. And so the amygdala, right, the amygdala are like these two little almond-shaped clusters, like right in the base of the brainstem. And they're kind of like the seat of the, they're like the alarm bells of the brain. (laughs) So that's the seat of your stress response. That's, that's the part of the brain that's, that's making you very reactive. And, and then there's the prefrontal cortex that I mentioned that has the higher order thinking, the problem solving ability, empathy, verbal ability, all the good stuff that we really want to be able to access to say, okay, what do I need to teach my child in this moment? So the studies have shown is that after about an eight week course of mindfulness meditation, Mm -hmm. um, so practicing regularly, it literally changes the brain. So not only do people feel less reactive, Mm -hmm. they feel less anxiety, they feel less depression, greater well-being. But what's happening in the brain is that the amygdala, that alarm bell of the brain, is actually shrinking in gray matter, has actually shrunk in gray matter. And the connectivity from the amygdala to the rest of the brain has actually shrunk. Mm. And then the Mm. prefrontal cortex, that higher order thinking area, that area has actually grown more dense in the brain. I mean, so mm-hmm. it's, it's really, really fascinating. It's literal physical it changes in the brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then you would say, and we'll get more into your, your website. So as the folks read your book and they're raising good humans and they're practicing mindfulness, then a part of the physical aspect would be probably to meditate do yoga. What do you say to that? Would that that help a a parent to be more mindful in their parenting to do those practices? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess the number one practice I recommend is a a meditation practice. And and again, people think it's kind of a woo-woo thing, but like, I don't know, like, you know, George Munson was teaching it to, you know, the the uh, the Chicago Bulls back in the day, and they did pretty well with it. Right. Like, mm-hmm. so, right. You know, ev- everyone from CEOs to people in prison are practicing meditation because of the benefits. Mm-hmm. And we can practice as parents, and it doesn't have to take long. You might start with just like a little a five minute guided meditation and move up to maybe just ten minutes of practice. And it, it sounds like you know there's zero side effects, but we all have a lot of aversion to kind of sitting still 
and, and practicing kind of being quiet, but this really amazing thing happens as we start to, as we start to practice, it's not that like, you know, you just like, you know, angels start singing and, and <laughs> sparkles start shooting out of your ears or anything like that. It doesn't like feel <laughs> Right. Amazing or anything. It, but what happens is, you know, you, you focus on the feeling maybe of breathing or the feeling of sitting, and that's good for like maybe one or two breaths, and then you, all of a sudden you're off into thinking about what to do later, and, and you're, you're dissecting what you should have said to so-and-so mm-hmm. or whatnot, and then you bring your attention back, and you do that like 6,000 times. And it's not that we want to like, and, and then it's outside of our practice that we really, really see the benefits. Like for me, when I first started practicing meditation, mm-hmm. I had, um, I had struggled with, um, I had struggled with like, you know, falling into those sort of these pits of depression or, or, uh, difficulties every week or two. I was just like a highly sensitive person. And so I started my, finally started my meditation practice about after about 10 years of reading about it. And, uh, and I, I sat in my meditation six days a week for two or three months. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. But then after two or three months, I thought like, I'm just sitting here thinking the whole time, like, I'm not even doing this right. Like, oh, this is, I was just frustrated. But then I looked back over that time in my life and I realized that I hadn't fallen into any of those pits that I had fallen into for 27 years of my life at that point. Okay. And for mm-hmm. me, it was like this huge game changer. So it, it really has, you know, it, it has this, this ability, you know, has, it gives us this clarity of thinking and this, this way of like really steadying our hearts, steadying our minds, steadying our nervous system so that we can be more available and more present for really every single area of our lives. That's the raising of the kind and confident kids because we're communicating with them better. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And so, yeah, the the meditation is a practice to really help us to just really be present for for our kids and to be able to then choose our our responses. And and yeah, and then we can better able to raise kind, confident kids. I mean, I think about it this way, you know, like, you know, we're having a relationship with these people like our whole lives. You know, we we want to have like a, a good, strong relationship. I mean, that for me, that was the most important thing in my life. I didn't really didn't want to mess it up. I didn't want her to have a ton of baggage and a ton of resentment. I didn't want her to, you know, for me, my relationship with my own father, I, we, we had a lot of difficulty well into our 20s, into my 20s for a long time because of the, the ways that he parented me, you know, and so for me, it's really about transforming those generational patterns that are not so helpful. <laughs> okay. I think we all struggle with that. You know, and it, it's generational, as you say. Mm-hmm. No, I'm completely different in my, with my children than my parents were. Mm-hmm. But I often tell people, we weren't, you know, with respect to parenting, nobody really gives you a roadmap, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think your your comments and your commentary and your way of looking at things, maybe we should take some courses it, or they should be encouraged, you know, because it is some sometimes it's flying by the seat of your pants, which, mm-hmm. you know, one size doesn't fit all. That's it, why I love your website. So tell us about that. Oh, oh thank you. Well, it's, you know, it has the, has the book, it has the podcast on there, the Mindful Mama podcast. We're on 260 plus episodes now. 
And there's um, oh wow, there's re- <laughs> yeah, got a lot of episodes. Been doing it for a long time, and there's resources. There's you know free guided meditations there that you can use if you want to start a free uh, mindful mom guide to help you get started mm-hmm. with your own meditation practice and and other resources that that can be helpful. I I run the mindful parenting membership. And I've been doing mindful parenting teacher trainings, which is really exciting, a new thing that we've been doing. Yes. And so are you having the response from from parents like Dee was saying, where were you? Where the hell were you when we were trying to, you know, (laughs) get with our kids? Are you having that kind of response? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes. I I do have a a member of my teacher training group who is a grandma. Mm. And, um, and so she's working on, you know, she's kind of healing her relationship with her adult daughter using some of these, some of these tools and, and kind of being with her granddaughter too, with these tools. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is like when, when we know better, we can do better. That's mm-hmm. all we can do. Right. Is like we, you know, I, my parents, I completely, I have a great relationship with my dad today, completely forgive him for all those challenges. I know that he was doing the best that he could do at the time with what he had, the resources he had, and even his, you know, parents who were even, you know, harder with him were doing what they could do, the best that they thought they could do at that time. So we grow and evolve, and and as we grow and change, we, we do better. We don't need to, you know, we need to understand. I think it's really helpful to understand our own upbringing and our ancestors and what was what was you know, the suffering that they went through and the difficulties that they went through that they may have inadvertently passed on to us mm-hmm. and forgive them for that. But then once we know better, we can start to transform those patterns and, and evolve in a, in a healthy, you know, create healthier relationships. I love that because, you know, when I talked about culture, yeah, a lot of how folks raise their kids um, was based on how they were raised and the culture. So it's nice that your book is here so that people can look at this mindful guide and say, you know what, guess what? You know, maybe how I was raised wasn't the best practice and I can do differently. But also, what would you say to moms like me where our kids are grown, but we still want to have that wonderful relationship because I have a wonderful relationship uh, with my daughters, but a lot of folks don't. They, you know, their kids are grown and don't even talk to them. And my husband, Dr. Doe, he's a physician. A lot of times when, when folks are in the hospital, their family don't come and visit them. They don't have that good relationship. So how can people mend that? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? I think that repairing those relationships is one of the most important things that we can do. And we, we talk about that. There's a, a tool that I share that I, I learned in the a Buddhist mindfulness community that I think is really, really valuable. And it's, like, it's called Beginning Anew. And if it's okay, I'll, I'll share it with you guys. Would you? Yeah, um, go ahead, go ahead. And I, I just think it's such a beautiful, very simple framework to begin anew with our relationship. Mm-hmm. And the first time I did it, I did it speaking it out loud in person with my six-year-old daughter, and I cried and cried and cried. Oh my goodness! I, I, it was, it was really um, very moving. But it's a format that you can use via a letter or an email or a conversation. But basically, you start out by whatever relationship you want to begin anew with. You can 
first, the first step is to share your appreciation or your gratitude for them. You want to water their seeds of gratitude. You want to just share anything that they may have done or said that you appreciate, right? So mm-hmm. just opening up to see all of them and see the good in them. So that's the first step. Okay. And then the second step, you share your own regrets. So this is about being very human, right, where you share your own regrets, anything you haven't had a chance to apologize for. Mm. And we're we're human, so we'll have them. Mm-hmm. And then in the third step, that's when we share any hurts or difficulties. And so we want to share those hurts and difficulties without being blameful, without exaggerating them, but just very honestly sharing anything that they may have said or, or done that has hurt us. Mm. Um, in in a non-blame, non-exaggerated way. And what's beautiful about this is that when we can say to someone like, I see the good in you, mm-hmm. and I'm not perfect too, but mm. these are these difficulties that I have had, it leaves them like open to hearing your message. Mm. And it's a really beautiful, simple framework. Um, and it's called Beginning Anew. Beginning Anew. Okay, Wow. I could listen to you all day. I know. <laughs> I, I'm just curious. One of the things you've interviewed, Iyana Van Zandt. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, a couple times. What oh. was that like? Yes. Iyana is amazing. We were in, like, kind of a group together um, studying mindfulness together. She's such a powerful teacher and an amazing human being and an amazing soul. And she's incredibly supportive person. And yeah, she has she has so much so much wisdom to share. Her voice is so you know she's just got this like incredible voice. I know exactly right. what you're talking about. Yeah, but yeah, I I see that. I love to see other folks that have their website. They're reaching folks in that that health and wellness umbrella, teaching mindfulness, and now you're doing it for for mothers. And so kudos to you. I just love that. Kudos to you. Definitely. Thank you. Absolutely. Most especially now with parents being at home trying to go through this whole COVID-19. Now they got to teach their kids, help with the online stuff and everybody's home. I know it has to be very stressful. Oh, big time. And and I'd love to, I think this would be like a perfect moment to add one of the most important pieces of mindful parenting that we didn't get to touch on, mm-hmm. which is the self-compassion piece. Okay. And I think that we tend to be so hard on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to have an inner voice where if we make a mistake and mess up, we speak to ourselves in a way we would never speak to someone we love. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this practice of starting to offer kindness um, to ourselves and, and transform that inner voice is so, so healing and so helpful for us to be offering more compassion to our kids and to others as well. And it can really, being able to practice self-compassion, being able to offer ourselves some grace and offer ourselves a soft landing when we are inevitably human and mess up, it allows us it's, it's this really vital foundational piece that allows us to then take new steps to grow and change and try something different, like sitting down in meditation and knowing that, you know, then if we, when we, and step outside our comfort zone, because we're offering ourselves that, that grace or that soft landing when we, we don't do it all perfectly. And so in closing, two things. 
The first thing would be just to give our audience an idea of how to be a mindful parent. What are at least at least two things that a parent that's being mindful should do every day with their children, you know, so that they can, you know, have the kind, confident, cooperative um, kids. How's that? I think there's two things I'd really like to hone in on. Okay. And one of them is taking time for yourself every day to have some habits that steady the heart and the mind and the nervous system. Like maybe taking, you know, we got five minutes for Instagram. We can find five minutes for meditation. Mm. So find having some time to your, creating that time, speaking your needs and creating some time for yourself to take time to stop and slow down and to slow down that stress response is really, really important. Mm -hmm. And then with our kids, what I would encourage people to do is to put some deposits in the relationship bank account Mm. and practice to really be present with our kids. So, you know, our kids, they cooperate with us because of our connection with them, right? They cooperate with us because they love and they care about us. And so what we want to do is to cultivate that connection, to make it stronger, to really do that. And so one way we can do that, which can be really nice, is to kind of offer them some special time. Say like, hey, you know, I'm going to set a timer for 10 minutes. For the next 10 minutes, aside from screen time, we can do whatever you want. And I'm just fully there and I'm fully here for you. And then you can practice to be really fully present for your child. And and if we really look at what is what is love, right? Like love mm-hmm. is is time, is attention, it's acceptance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if when we can offer our child like that attention that they crave and that acceptance and that bring this attitude of kindness and curiosity to that moment, like who are you in this moment? Like let me let me look at my child with fresh eyes and, and be curious about who they are. If we can really be present with them, so healing and such a great connector. There's a, a quote I offer that really fits in here. I think that makes so much sense. Okay. Um, that really drives me in a big way. Like so I have a, a teacher, he's a the author, Zen master Thich Nhat Han. He was actually nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize by Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. in the 60s. Okay. And he says that when you love someone, mm-hmm. the best thing you can offer is your presence. How can you love if you are not there? I think that, you know, that's, that's really, really an important message to take from this conversation. So, Dee, you have something to add? No, this was fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So how can folks get in touch with you and where can they buy your book? Thank you so much, Vicki. Yeah, they can go to mindfulmamamentor.com and you can find the podcast, all the resources there. The book, Raising Good Humans, is anywhere you want to buy a book. Um, and they even have it on audiobooks. And so oh, that's my favorite. If you audio, you might like that. <laughs> I like, I, that's how I do most of my books now, audio. And so when I'm in the car and I have to do some distant driving back and forth, hmm, I hook up my audio book. So that's good I to know. get into that. I haven't, I haven't really gotten into that both. So you've given me a nice, so I have to start with you. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. That'd be nice. Well, hey, thank you. Thank you. This was an awesome interview. Thank you very much for all your wisdom. Like I said, I thoroughly enjoyed the neurological, you know, aspect of uh, what you were talking about, because that certainly brought it home to me. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you very much. All right. Oh, thank you. It's been really a pleasure to, to meet you two, sort of, and to, to spend time together. I really appreciate it. 
Now, this ends our show, Dee. So what are some tips that we should think about? Well, as I said in the beginning, and now after hearing her, where was she when I was raising my children? She was really very good. I thoroughly enjoyed her. Her comments about parenting, about, you know, not being reactive, immediately reacting to take a step back. You know, she talked about some of the things that I often think about. You know, we don't necessarily have a roadmap, and many of us parent the way that our parents parented, but maybe all of that is not a good idea. So I think she gave us a lot of tools with which we can work. And she said it transcends, you know, not just with younger kids, but as kids grow into adolescence as well. So I thoroughly enjoyed her. Yes. And I really liked how that she was giving us points on if our kids are older, how we can really reconnect and sit down with them and still develop our relationship with them so that it will be um, meaningful, even as they get older and as we get older ourselves. I love how she said, you know, you have to have that forgiveness, you know, because we do. Yes, exactly. Because we all do the best we can, right? That's all we can do. That's all we do. I want to encourage all of you to go to Amazon and get her book written by Hunter Clark Fields, and it's called Raising Good Humans, A Mindful Guide to Breaking the Cycle of Reactive Parenting and Raising Kind confident kids. And as always, for more information, go to our website, vikidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts. Make sure you become an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. Go to vikidofitness.com forward slash join and register for a $6 monthly subscription. As a premium member, you will have exclusive access to our archive of more than 100 past premium podcast shows, free subscription to our monthly newsletter, and much, much more. But most of all, you will receive exclusive subscriber premium member only episodes of our from the desk of Vicki Doe. In these episodes, I will focus on special health fitness topics and answer your most common health fitness questions. So go right now. Go to vickidofitness.com forward slash join and become an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. By subscribing to our premium membership, you are supporting Vikido Fitness, which allows us to continue to produce valuable content, including new podcasts. And as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com.